0: Robertson McQuilkin clearly remembers the first time he realized something
1: was wrong with his wife Muriel. We were driving uh, with these friends, and uh, Muriel started to tell a story. She liked to tell stories and uh, laugh at her own stories. She had a marvelous, outrageous laugh, infectious. So she started this story, which she had just told five minutes earlier. It was a pretty, you know, four or five minute story. And I said, honey, you just told us that. This is a rerun. And she just laughed and went right on. And I thought, hey, that's funny. That never happened before. But then it began to happen with ever greater frequency. And, of course, we hadn't even heard the name Alzheimer's.
0: This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Today, we hear the first part of of a powerful love story. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. I know one of the questions you get asked frequently, I get asked the same question, is when you think back over now almost 16 years of doing Family Life Today, what are some of your favorite Radio interviews, and I think what our listeners are going to get a chance to hear this week has to be up mm-hmm. in the in the top tier of programs we've ever had the privilege of doing.
2: And I thought you were going to say, Bob, one of the top ten.
0: Well, it's certainly one of the top ten. Maybe even higher than that. Don't no, you think? No
2: doubt about that. Um, Robertson McQuilkin is uh, a rare man. He is a world-renowned biblical theologian uh, who has. Um, served internationally as a missionary. He was, for a number of years, um, president of Columbia International University, has spoken worldwide, written a number of books. But the real story our listeners are about to hear is uh, Robertson's love for his wife, Muriel, who, um, uh, well, more than 10 years from the time of this interview, had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And he was caring for her and, in fact, had resigned from his position as president of uh, the seminary and college, and uh, he went home to take care of her, and it's, uh, it's just a great love story.
0: It is a powerful story, and again, this interview goes back now almost nine years, uh, but it's one of those interviews that we pull out and listen to ourselves over and over again, and we wanted our listeners to hear it as well. Here is part one of our conversation with Dr. Robertson McQuilkin.
2: Uh, Robertson, you and your wife Muriel met and dated during uh, the year I was born, 1948. That kind of dates me here a little bit. Uh, dates me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the love story originally. How did you meet Muriel, and, and how did you propose to her? Well, we were both students at
1: what was then Columbia Bible College, now it's Columbia International University. And I thought she was the cutest thing. Somebody asked me on a television show whether... Uh, it was love at first sight. And I said, no. I liked her at first sight, but I was only 17 years old. <laughs> I was 16 when we first met, but uh, in our chapel, which was required, she sat in front of me. And when I watched her lovely artistic fingers going through the hair, <laughs> lovely brown hair, I just wanted to go out and see what she was like. And I discovered she was delightful, mm. just smart and gifted and just a great lover of people and more fun than you can imagine. Now,
0: did you just tap her on the shoulder in a chapel and say, would you go out for a Coke with me on Friday night? Or
1: uh-huh. Well, I talked to her afterwards. Oh, we were in conversation before, but, I mean, that really got me going. <laughs> so you proposed. How would you do that? Uh, It happened several times. (laughs) (laughs) Took you a while to win Muriel's love, huh? Uh, I think she was faking it, actually. But at any rate, (laughs) yes. Uh, First time was in the lobby of the school, and uh, she had this, that she wouldn't hold hands or kiss or anything. And uh, I said, let me hold your hand. I want to tell you something. And she says, well, tell me what you're going to tell me. (laughs) But she let me hold her hand and I told her I loved her. And that was the first time. Yeah. And you told her you wanted her to be your wife? Didn't say that much. But she got the drift. Uh huh. But we decided afterwards, since uh, we were young, and I guess a lot of people, after they propose, then they have misgivings. So um, we decided to be sure it was God's will that we put it on hold for six months. And I I went to seminary, and she went to teach in a school. So we didn't have any contact for six months. And they say that um, distance will blow out a little flame and fan a big one. So at the end of that time, I (laughs) went to Bluefield, West Virginia to see her. And it was on Valentine's Day, 1947 the day before Valentine's Day and that's when I had my ring and asked her to marry me and she said well I've got to pray about it she knew all along what she was going to do <laughs> yeah. I, and through the years I'd accuse her I'd say you just did that so we could get engaged on Valentine's Day <laughs> <laughs> well you had to be
0: a little nervous driving up to Bluefield, West Virginia. You haven't seen her in six months, and you're carrying the ring. And did you did you wonder whether that little flame had been blowing out, or whether the big flame
1: was still fanned? Yeah, I don't know. I was pretty confident, I guess. Uh huh. <laughs> really? <laughs> She'd sent me
2: all kinds of signals. I think it was her idea in the first
3: place.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, you begin your book, "A Promise Kept," um, some thirty years later, with the story of. Um, you're all spending some time at a friend's house in, in Florida, and uh, something occurred there that was the beginning of a period of suffering and drama that continues on to this day. We were driving uh, with these friends,
1: and uh, Muriel started to tell a story. She liked to tell stories and uh, laugh at her own stories. She had a marvelous, outrageous laugh, infectious So she started this story, which she had just told five minutes earlier. It was a pretty, you know, four or five-minute story. And I said, honey, you just told us that. This is a rerun. And she just laughed and went right on. And I thought, hey, that's funny. That never happened before. But then it began to happen with ever greater frequency. And, of course, we hadn't even heard the name Alzheimer's back then, I don't think.
2: How old was Muriel at that point? Fifty-five.
1: But if we had known about Alzheimer's, it's an old folks' disease and wouldn't have connected it with her anyway. But she was a wife of a college president, so she entertains, and what a marvelous entertainer she was. But the menus began to get mixed up, and there
2: were little indications. She actually had a radio broadcast that uh, she had on a daily basis that she was doing. Yes, it was very well received.
1: In fact, they were talking about national syndication. It was just upbeat chatter, but really powerful. So she had different things going, but
0: that began to fade. All these little things happening. She's repeating a story. The menus are getting mixed up. There are problems with the radio broadcast. When did you get to a point where you said,
1: there's something going on here? Well, actually, she went into the hospital for a heart examination, proved to be nothing. But then the young, I guess he was an intern, very young doctor. I'd never met him. He called me out into the hall, and he said, you may want to consider Alzheimer's. And I was shocked. I thought, these young doctors, they're so brash, Hmm. arrogant. I'd hardly heard the term. But that started the wheels turning. And about two years after that, in eighty three, We went to a neurologist friend who, by the process of elimination, concluded that that's probably
2: what it was. How did you handle the news that uh, your wife, of less than uh, 60 years of age, could Mm -hmm. have a disease that was progressive, and you were watching it manifest itself in various ways? How did you personally handle it at that point?
1: Well, of course, there's a a sense of loss, but it wasn't a crisis experience because we knew something was up. And it was loss, little by little. And so this was just, oh, okay. That's what it is.
2: Robertson, uh, you write in your book just of your response to um, Muriel's disease. And I'm quoting now. You say, we would trust the Lord to work a miracle in Muriel if he so desired or work a miracle in me hmm. if he didn't. What do you mean by that?
1: Well... The emphasis in that context is that we decided to go standard although people were recommending all sorts of other things I had a letter from a doctor in Canada I didn't know who really scolded me for not pursuing all of these well it would have been physically impossible to pursue all of them. You're speaking now of vitamins uh, Oh gurus, op- exorcism uh, new treatments go to Mexico, get rid of the aluminum I mean just Infinity, mm-hmm. And we decided to go standard. The miracle in me would be that I would sustain it with confidence in the Lord and not get uh, sidetracked or fold. Has he done that? Well, surely he has. One time on a TV program, a man said, What has God done miraculously to enable you to love her so and to hang in there and be patient and so forth? And I said, I don't like the question it used to occur for me. What if I said, I like you, but the only reason is that God has worked a miracle to enable me to like somebody that's so unlikable? I said, you wouldn't like that. I love her because she's lovable. She's altogether lovable. So it's never been a, something to try to pump up or something okay, like that.
2: I, I want to stop you right there. She is altogether lovable. Yeah. She hasn't spoken a word to you in how many years? Oh six i guess six years yeah help me here there's some of our listeners who want to say robertson she is altogether lovable. lovable she's
1: sweet she's contented she's totally dependent on me um and i just from all the background of the wonderful years that we spent together i have all the memories and it's just a joy to see that uh i can make a difference in her life you understand the challenge
0: i mean a lot of people listening are thinking 6 years of being bedfast and not speaking sounds more like something you endure than
1: something you enjoy i guess it depends on your outlook if you consider yourself a victim and you'd rather be... You know, I never think about what if. I don't think what if is in God's vocabulary. So I don't even think about what I might be doing instead of changing her diaper, what I might be doing instead of spending two hours feeding her. It's the grace of God, I'm sure, like you said, Dennis, but it also may be the way I'm wired to uh, live the now and not uh, live in the past or live in the future
2: in the midst of um, all these things starting to progress in her life you write in your book that uh, she did not know what was happening to her
1: no she didn't
2: uh, one thing about forgetting
1: is you forget that you forgot and uh, so she never seemed to suffer too much with it when she she would know that she'd failed she'd maybe be desperate to please it or to make something happen the way it's supposed to the way it always had and it didn't But only momentarily, and then she'd laugh at herself and have another go at it. That was her personality, always had been. Did you at some point say to her, "Um, Sweetheart, you've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's? I never told her. I asked my doctor if it was okay not to because some people in the field say that you should walk through it together. But Muriel really lived for me, and I knew that if she realized what was going to happen that this would be very painful for her so i asked him and he said no if she doesn't ask and isn't concerned then just let it go so she never really knew. she knew she was having
2: problems but she didn't know the diagnosis i happen to know right now that uh, there is a person who is staying with muriel your daughter marty yeah and uh, marty makes it possible for you to be able to make an occasional trip like this a day trip as you've had here to Family Life and to share your story with us. Um, I'd like to call Marty on the phone because she has watched you as her father and um, the husband of her mother make a remarkable uh, commitment uh, to her mother and, and uh, to your wife. And uh, she wrote a poem in the back of your book that uh, what I want to do, Bob, is I want to call Marty on the phone and I just want to get a little bit of a glimpse from a, uh, a child, an adult child, of, of uh, what this has meant to her and uh, have her share this poem with our listeners. I think we're working to get her on the line right now. Let's see. Is this Marty? Yes. This is Dennis Rainey and Bob Lapine on Family Life Today. Uh-huh. How are you doing? Just fine, thank you. We're here in the studio with your dad. Why don't you say hi to your dad?
3: <laughs> hi, Dad.
2: Hi, Martykins. <laughs> He said you love surprises, so we decided we would surprise you.
3: <laughs> yes, this is a surprise. You,
2: you, you're there taking care of your mom, right?
3: Uh-huh, yeah.
2: How's she doing today?
3: Yeah, she's doing fine.
2: And he smiles? Uh,
3: well, no, I don't think so, but she's taking her time with her lunch still.
2: <laughs> I, I've just got a couple of things I want you to do. First of all, we're sharing with our listeners just uh, a remarkable commitment by a husband to his wife. Mm-hmm. What's your perspective on that, as uh, as one who is looking at a, a man who's committed to your mother?
3: Well, of course, I grew up in this family with with the two of them, and they always were in love. I mean, the two of them uh, were always kissing and hugging in the kitchen and in the living room and in the hallway. I mean. My memory from my childhood is two people that were always, not only did they love one another, but they were in love. They really thought that each other set the moon, hmm. and so it didn't surprise me at all. I mean, this to me is just the natural thing that would happen with these two particular people. All she ever wanted was to be with him, and all he ever wanted was to be with her, and... Um, it it never changed, never diminished. I mean, you know, they had disagreements and they had discussions and things, but it wasn't it didn't affect the relationship. So, to me, this is just the way it ought to be, you know what I'm saying? Mhm.
2: Thank you, Marty. <laughs> hmm. Marty, um you've written a poem that uh Robertson put in this book. Uh, a Promise Kept. And um, I shared with our listeners a few moments ago that we were calling you to ask you a, a question, but also to read uh, read this poem that you wrote as a Christmas gift in 1994. Would you mind, uh, see if you can't find a copy of the book there in the house somewhere and uh, read it to our listeners? Would you mind doing that?
3: Okay, hold on a minute here. Um... I'm not sure where in the book it is. It's page 72,
2: but... Marty.
3: Okay. Wild roses grew in Mother's mind. Seeds fell from her hands, and laughter ran like a mountain brook out of her heart to water our gardens. She gathered stones and sunlight, moonbeams and melodies. No smallest bit of loveliness was passed without the sweet caress of her happy recognition. She gleefully uprooted pretense and tossed it in the sea. She danced and ran where others walked. And now the snow falls deep around the place she spun and shone, scattering God-light from her hair. I don't know if when you were talking to Dad, he described the kind of person Mother was, but she was unperturbable, loved life, and totally disliked any sort of inauthenticity or uh, elitism. She would think nothing if she saw a beautiful house of walking up and ringing the doorbell and asking the owner if she could look through it because she thought it was so beautiful. (laughs) 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 She embarrassed us enormously. (laughs) 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 Um, And she did. She collected rocks. She collected flowers. I mean, when she would be walking along and see dead flowers along the sides of the road she would collect the seeds from them and bring them home and plant them um and she would sing she would sing if she was washing dishes she would sing to us when she wanted us to do something um instead of asking us get her little songs that she would sing to get us to come and help her sweep the floor or whatever um so i see her as a garden that is covered with snow but is not gone. Yeah,
0: hmm. Hmm. yeah. Marty, thanks for taking time out uh, to share with our listeners a little bit about your dad and your mom. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, Marty, thank you for uh, for setting us straight because we'll not refer to him as a saint or a hero anymore. <laughs> bye bye. Um, bye. You know, I I had to hear a
0: little bit in Marty's laugh some of what. Robertson has described mm-hmm. as,
2: as that infectious laugh of Muriel. Mm-hmm. And you think, Bob, of what a daughter has seen as she has watched this love story emerge. Um, I, I think one of the most profound statements she made is, is that, hey, what's abnormal about this? This was always the commitment, always the love that we saw in our home from day one. So what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just looks like a big deal today because there's not enough faithful men and women like Robertson and Muriel who are, um, who are faithfully loving one another. And uh, Robertson, I know you don't, you don't like the attention, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm truly grateful that you have uh, continued to weather the storm even to this day, 22 years later, and that your love stands strong and firm and steadfast for a woman that you love, present tense,
0: I hate to break it to you, but uh, I don't think you kept your word to Marty. I think you have referred to her dad as a hero.
2: Yeah, I really on more than one occasion. I really have, and I still refer to Doctor McQuilkin as a hero because, well, it's what it's what Marty observed. It's 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 just a great love story. Mm. I mean, Hollywood tries it, but they seldom get it right. And this is just a a, a magnificent. And may I use the word holy? just a holy story of a man attempting to nourish and cherish his wife in the midst of a disease that was robbing her of her personality and her memory and and uh, ultimately of her life. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's stories like this that we need to be reminded of. Uh, from time to time. That's one of the reasons we wanted our listeners to hear it, some of them for the first time and some of them hearing it again. But, you know, this is one of those stories you ought to listen to again and again. And I was thinking about the couples who have attended our Family Life Weekend to Remember marriage conferences, and it may have been four or five years or longer since they have been to a conference. And they may be thinking, you know, I've been there, done that, don't need to uh, repeat that experience And yet I think all of us need to be reminded uh, regularly of what uh, sacrificial love and service look like in a marriage relationship. We need to be reminded of what God's calling us to and how we can build the kind of marriage relationship that can go the distance. And I want to point our listeners to our website, familylife.com. You can go online and get more information about the Family Life Weekend to Remember marriage conferences. I was just visiting with a friend, and he was asking about locations and dates, and I was recommending some spots where he and his wife may want to travel to attend one of these conferences. Uh, If you'd like more information, go online at familylife.com. You can go ahead and block out the date and register now for one of these upcoming conferences. Or if it's easier, just call us at 1-800-FL-TODAY. Any questions you have, or if you'd like to register over the phone, again, it's 1 800 F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today, or uh, online. Again, you'll find us at familylife.com. And when you get in touch with us, be sure to request a copy of Dr. McQuilkin's book, which is called A Promise Kept. It gives you additional insight into uh, the heart and the character of this man. We have copies of the book, A Promise Kept, and you can request them from us either online at familylife.com or when you call 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Tomorrow, we're going to hear part two of our conversation with Dr. Robertson McQuilkin, and you will hear his very moving comments that he made to students the day he stepped down from his responsibilities as president at Columbia Bible College and Seminary. That's coming up tomorrow. I hope you can be back with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life
3: Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.